the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Tuesday, May 24th, 2022. We've been talking uh, about the horrific uh, shooting in Texas, and uh, we'll uh, return to that in a few moments. Uh, Let me uh, share with you that I was um, chatting with a friend this morning about our divided republic and how we're going to put things back together somehow, and if we can. I have a lot of thoughts on this, and perhaps I exhausted my friend with his 6 a.m. phone call on this, but fair warning, you call at 6, that's what you're going to get. This. You're going to get this. I think there are two ways to put our country together, to unite our country. First lies the way of history's strongest and most popular medicine. It's a drug, it's addictive, and it's dangerous. It feels good at first, begets a dependency, and ends up destroying everything around it. And I'm speaking of tyranny or totalitarianism. You, after all, don't get more unified than that, do you? Certainly one way to overcome nettlesome or even fractious dissent is to eliminate dissent, which is to say eliminate dissenters. If there's no viable outlet for opposition to speak, and if there is no opposition because it's been censored or crushed or otherwise stymied to the marginalia of public life via the writing out of a certain population, either as dysgenic or enemies of the state or undemocratic, you name it, you can cleanse the political stage. You make your enemies untermention, infra dignitatum, contemptuous, beneath dignity. That's how communists and Nazis do it. Aside from the means or the propaganda necessary to accomplish this, let's review the intellectual ground of where this comes from first. As Harry V. Jaffa puts it, modern history's experience with totalitarianism is but two sides of the same coin. Both Nazis and Marxists take as their foundation a view of history designed from 19th century neo-Darwinian biology. The Nazis saw history as a competition of races, with the struggle for power, ultimately by means of war, determining who was the fittest and who deserved to survive and rule. The master race stood in the same relationship to the inferior races that the human race had stood in relationship to the lower, lower order of animals in the old view of things. Hence, these inferior races could logically and consistently be enslaved or exterminated or used for their hides and tallow the same way we use cattle. The Holocaust was no more to them than the shambles of the Kansas City stockyards to us. In the case of the communists, they substitute the words class struggle for the race struggle of the Nazis. But the human consequences are the same. Anything denominated counter-revolutionary in a Stalinist-type regime suffers the same fate as anything called dysgenic in the Nazi regime. That is why I say the abandonment of human nature is the abandonment of the ground of all morality. So you can achieve unity by totalitarianism brute force, subjugation and elimination of dissenters and dissent. The other way, much newer, 
and in many cases more difficult, is to win over, achieve, and concretize unity, not by manufacturing consent, but by achieving it. Yuval Levin the other day wrote something interesting. He said, our movement today, our conservative movement today, is somewhat like our movement was just before Ronald Reagan. What I thought interesting about that is two things regarding Reagan. He delivered strong medicine. People forget that. His politics were not the politics of appeasement, but via conviction and strength, not to mention, yes, a generally good demeanor, he got us as close to majoritarian consent as any leader in modern history. After all, the phrase Reagan Democrat must stand for something when you consider he may have been the most or at least the second most conservative or rightward president in our history. Now, naturally, if we are thinking about how divided we are, our minds go to the phrase house divided. They may even go to the Civil War. The phrase Civil War or variants thereof, cultural civil war, cold civil war, etc., invites thoughts about Abraham Lincoln, especially when we think of the phrase house divided. Lincoln's house divided speech was his entry onto the main political stage, his kickoff to his campaign for Senate that led to the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates in that effort. In that speech, he, of course, was speaking of the expansion of slavery when he said the following, but given all that's wrapped up in and around the issue, he could have been saying it about just any, anything just as trenchant today. He said then, quote, agitation has not only not ceased, but has constantly augmented. In my opinion, it will not cease until a crisis shall have been reached and passed. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Close quote. Lincoln did not use language casually, and his use of the word agitation is, I think, key. How many times have we spoken here of the world we have been forced to live in, one of constant crisis, anxiety, and, yes, agitation? No peace, no calm, no permanence, nothing settled, just one emergency after another. And, of course, as he wished all of this, we did indeed have to have a hot civil war, not a war Lincoln's side started, but a war Lincoln's side won and provided the opportunity for the House to unite. His wish was that we not be enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies, he said. That's what he said at the beginning of his presidency. At the end, he said with malice towards none. What is most interesting to me about those bookmarks of his presidency is when he wished us not to be enemies to or with one another, he put the full point this way, quote, We are not enemies but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature, close quote. He presumed, in other words, two things. One, passion had taken us off our mutual course. And two, there was a desire for us all to live by the same standards of ethics and moral code, that we had the same angels and the same nature because we all cherished the mystic cords of memory. 
big point here. It was all the legacy of our founding and love of country. In other words, it was all based on a patriotic sentiment or at least patriotism that we all shared. He wasn't exactly right, at least not gazing to the future. We all didn't share those things even then because, as he put it, the war came. One side, he put it, would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish, and the war came. One side here, too, would like simply nothing more than to be left alone. Let us teach our children reading and writing and geography and great literature as we were taught. Let us earn and keep the money the sweat of our brow produces. Let us embrace our founding and our understanding of American and human nature and let people be people rather than making sure we view people as black people or white people or sick people. In other words, let us continue to bind wounds that were nearly all healed rather than rip off bandages and puncture and break all our repaired body parts. And let us celebrate of ourselves what others celebrate of us as they show us when they immigrate here, whether legally or illegally, or as they show us when they march against their own tyrants with American symbolism and iconography. Let sports be sports, schools be schools, children be children, criminals be arrested, innocents be protected, our national anthem be our national anthem, and enjoy our repose in the finality and surety of a government we had a hand in creating, but one that is dedicated to protecting majoritarian as well as minority rights. One side wants all that. The other side didn't and doesn't. And know where it starts. Not against individuals, but the entire system, the entire country, starting with its founding, even changing its founding date, and then turning everything, everything into a cause of agitation, including what we used to call national pastimes and anthems, all of which were about one thing, unity. But there are no safe spaces from that anymore. The personal is political, was the Marxist and feminist charge, and everyone now actualizes, another Marx phrase, they actualize themselves by political acts that turn us into a grievance society that can never be anything other than in a permanent revolution. C.S. Lewis, as usual, was on to this a long time ago when he wrote, a sick society must think much about politics as a sick man must think much about his digestion. To ignore the subject may be fa fatal cowardice for one as for the other. But if either comes to regard it as the natural food of the mind, if either forgets that we think of such things only in order to be able to think of something else, then what was undertaken for the sake of health has become itself a new and deadly disease, a malady. Politics and political upheaval and agitation have become the natural food of the mind and culture now, haven't they? What was supposed to be a medicine for emergent situations has become the coin of the realm because we have made everything an emergency. We're always on the eve of destruction, constantly, always. Consider when Lincoln gave his House Divided speech, of course, on the issue of slavery. It was in the context and wake of the Dred Scott decision the year prior, a decision from the Supreme Court which was the first time, along with a major political party, the Democratic Party, that also, for the first time, took the settled position of our founding and turned it inside out to argue what no founder had ever argued, i.e., that our Declaration of Independence and Constitution were meant only for a certain class of human being. 
This was another unsettlement, an agitation, a turbulence and disturbance in the force of not only human nature, but our history and patriotic fervor over it. And the war came. In his landmark book, The Crisis of the House Divided, Harry Jaffa ends by writing, The only rock upon which man's political salvation might be built is man's moral sense. The determination of some men to be free and the awareness that no man can rightfully achieve freedom for himself or in the presence of a just God long retain his freedom if he would deny to any other man of whatever race or nation the right to equal freedom. Notice the theme, freedom. Notice the means of getting there, equality. Notice what every totalitarian system has, neither. So it seems to me, as we seek to repair our wounds and try to approach anything like unity, there is still nothing quite so important as leadership and a leadership by someone who can speak to all these things that once again restores us to the calm and peaceful finality that we know we can have. We know we can have it because we've had it, and we know that we know that we've had it. We are, after all, a very knowledgeable country, which is but one other reason. Textbooks, textbooks must be changed and children must be propagandized and recruited to the cause and armies of our iconoclasm. Abraham Lincoln gave one of the greatest eulogies of all time to one of the greatest men in our history, Henry Clay. He said this of Henry Clay. He loved his country partly because it was his own country, but mostly because it was a free country. And he burned with a zeal for its advancement, prosperity, and glory because he saw in such the advancement, prosperity, and glory of human liberty, human right, and human nature. Therein, right there, is the source of our unity and combination as much as the source of our polarization and cleavage. One side of our house is divided, believing generally we are a good and free country, and one side believes we are not. So I think it's about speaking up for the country. It's not China that is under attack from us. It's not Saudi Arabia or Iran that is under attack from us. It's not even Russia or Cuba that is under much attack from us. We are under attack from ourselves. More negative things have been said about America from within America than about Saudi Arabia, Iran, China, and Russia combined. What one side says about us is what enemies have said and say about us. And the volume and ink dedicated to that agitprop, agitprop, remember that word, a portmanteau of agitation and propaganda, the volume and ink dedicated to that agitprop is far greater than the volume and ink over slavery in China, human rights depredations in China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran, or anywhere else combined. Why do you think that is? It's not an accident or an irony. It explains the whole problem. One side of our house wants to find depredations here and thinks pointing them out elsewhere would make ours seem small. And one understands, one side understands human nature is imperfect and that the enemy of humanity is not the asymptotic embrace of equality and freedom, but rather the end point of greatness. Beware those who seek utopia and never rest. They will continually be disappointed because it does not exist in human nature or anywhere else. They will be in a state of permanent revolution based on a constant state of crisis, agitation and anxiety. The root of anxiety from the Latin, by the way, means troubled mind. And one thing that is still true of human nature that cannot be forgotten, 
A healthy body like a healthy body politic should not be taking medicine it does not need or be put in a state of malingering in order to think of politics as we think of medicine. There's a reason, after all, Ronald Reagan would say again and again in the 1970s, we are not a sick society. Look up his speeches from that time, CPAC and elsewhere. He had to say that a lot. We do have asylums here, as we have hospitals and doctor's offices. We just don't think of going to them as the normal and generalized thing to do. They are for aberrations and emergencies or diseases. We should not make them the equivalent of restaurants, convenience stores, churches, synagogues, schoolhouses, and gas stations. We should not cosmologize our deficiencies as anything close to our normal, our default, our rule, or our mean. Humans are not meant to be in a state of constant and unremitting anxiety. The unhealthy should not govern the healthy, and the sick should not engage in projection that misdiagnoses the well. That is regime as well as medical malpractice. And notice the movement that does that is doing so in trying to achieve one kind of unity here. It is the residual and intellectual legatee of the very movements we described above, movements known for their abandonment of human nature, which is the abandonment of the ground of all morality. Understanding that and selecting for ourselves leaders that understand that I think, gets us back to a house united. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I went a little long in the last segment, so I'll go a little short here, and we'll get to the rest of our work and your calls on the other side of this break, 602 508 0960, anything on your mind, including the Texas shooting, which we're still learning all the facts on, or at least as many as we possibly can. There's a lot we still don't know. We do know a lot of people are dead. We do know one other thing, too, courtesy of John Lott, who's an expert on crime and criminal uh, criminal justice research. Uh, and he put this out because of the incoming that he, as a supporter of gun rights, was taken taken um the shooting today at the rob elementary school in uvalde um is not a school is not a school that um had armed teachers and staff they do have firearm regulations there and there are no provisions in the regulations for teachers or staff to carry And why is that important? It's important because he put out a study a year ago worth reading. Despite 20 states allowing teachers or staff to carry guns, all the school shootings, every one of them, have occurred in schools that don't allow that. Every one of them. That's, um, as Thomas Huxley put it, um, the case of an ugly fact killing a beautiful theory and beautiful children. 602-508-0960. I'm Seth Leibson, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Another take on love as we're heading into Memorial Day. You know, we're going to be reading the submissions you folks have sent in. 
to help commemorate those who gave their last full measure of devotion. I'll do at least one every day, and uh, this week, thanks to uh, the sponsorship of the Luke Auto dealership. Thank you, Bill Luke Autos. Uh, This one is submitted by Mike Bonilla on behalf of Felipe Bonilla. Little did I know that would be the last time I heard from my father when he gathered us three boys in a room and told us to take care of our mother. A year or so later, I heard that doorbell in the night and my poor mother waking us up to tell us that our father was gone. That was the year of 1966, and to this day I sometimes wonder how things would have been different if he had survived that tour of duty. He would be proud of us three boys who have grown up to be good and responsible people, and I make sure I fly that flag for him and honor his memory every Memorial Day. Bless you, Mike, in the memory of your father, Felipe. Here, too, things honorable touch the soul, and... uh, they will never be forgotten. We'll read more of these stories, and at the end of the week, we will randomly select one of the submissions blindly, not based on length or story or anything else, to present to you a flag of the United States of America that has flown over the U.S. Capitol specifically as a tribute to soldiers who have worn the uniform of the United States, and didn't come back so that we could be free and safe here. We'll do more of that. We'll do more of that as the show goes on. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Oh, hi, Seth. Yeah, what, that's a very moving story. Yeah. Um, and and I'm grateful that uh, people like that existed for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, most of the most of them have been my heroes for the longest time. Um, I uh, was interested in the fact that uh, earlier today you put the tape on of Mr. Rogers and how Hollywood television movies could be, uh, you know, influential in a good way. And then later it came out, Rob Reiner wanted to blame all Republicans on the shooting in in Texas. I guess Rob didn't pay much attention to Mr. Rogers. Um, You know, it's funny because he was in that audience, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, Rob, you're absolutely right. Maybe I should play it again. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's... I, I, I think it's worth it. I, I think that's something. Uh, uh, Mr. Rogers had a message. Do you think? Did you like that message? It's not. It's not too uh, too quaint. I, I sometimes worry about no! that. No. Okay. Not okay. not at all. Okay. I, I think it's true. I think it's real. I think it's honest, okay. and I think it's needed. Um, but I also think too. I mean, you know, we we recently have, in light of the shooting. You know, we've we've given $40 billion to Ukraine, and I keep thinking about uh, wouldn't that money be better spent in the U.S. maybe for uh, people with mental health issues? And hardening our schools, damn it, you know? Yeah. How hard is this to do? Why are we hardening the Ukraine and not our elementary schools? Well, and in Texas in particular, and near the border specifically, you know, I have a little experience with that myself yes, personally, you do. but sure. I, I just I just think that, uh, you know, this this again goes into that basic uh, America last uh, philosophy that this current administration uh, seems to have. Um, they they lie, they mislead, they misdirect, 
and they don't take any responsibility for all of the things that they've screwed up, and they've screwed up almost everything that they've touched. I'll add one other thing. I think their priorities are all wrong. I think they they have deprioritized the the right things and made essential the wrong things, and um, and so helped continue to disorient this country. Well, yeah, and and I can't, again, I I probably mentioned this earlier, I, I can't think of a single thing that the current administration has done that has either put America first or has done anything good. Not one for the thing. Country. Not one thing, including including the seemingly amorphous thing Joe Biden's first job was, which was to unite us. To unite us. To which I say, go back and check out my monologue. But thank you, Rob, and thank you for your service. As long as we're talking about these sorts of things as well. As we go to break, I'll put in a word for balance of nature. Their fruits and veggies. I take them every day. One hundred percent natural, pure, potent plant power. 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables. You take them once a day, and you are good to go, boosting your energy, your health, your immunity. Can't say enough about it. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. We'll be right back. For those of you looking for a really great, unique investment opportunity with a fabulous return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. They're offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized and secure portfolio. Y-Refi is in the business of helping people dig out a debt, digging out the right way, doing the right thing, paying off their debts, doing it with dignity, getting FICO scores fixed all along the way. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm run by, as I say, really good people who are doing very well in helping others. You can, too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087. They're a local company. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they do. That is attractive enough. It was for me. InvestYRefi.com. Invest, R-E-F-Y dot, excuse me, InvestYRefy.com. InvestYRefy.com. All right, you want to do, uh, Rob Reiner is blaming, blaming every Republican. He said the Republican Party, the entire Republican Party has blood on its hands. Um, that's certainly a group responsibility. That's certainly a collective responsibility. Uh, when uh, we certainly don't know anything about party affiliations involved in this shooting. What we do know is what the industry of entertainment once used to applaud. This is Fred Rogers in 1999. Fame is a four-letter word. And like tape or Zoom or face or pain or life, or love, what ultimately matters is what we do with it. I feel that those of us in television are chosen to be servants. It doesn't matter what our particular job, we are chosen to help meet the deeper needs of those who watch and listen day and night. The conductor of the orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl grew up in a family that had little interest in music, but he often tells people he found his early inspiration 
from the fine musicians on television. Last month, a 13-year-old boy abducted an 8-year-old girl. And when people ask him why, he said he learned about it on TV. Something different to try, he said. Life's cheap. What does it matter? Well, life isn't cheap. It's the greatest mystery of any millennium, and television needs to do all it can to broadcast that, to show and tell what the good in life is all about. But how do we make goodness attractive? By doing whatever we can to bring courage to those whose lives move near our own, by treating our neighbor at least as well as we treat ourselves, and allowing that to inform everything that we produce. Who in your life... Rob Reiner is part and parcel of that industry, probably the biggest part and parcel of it, or certainly amongst the biggest part and parcels of it. Um, Maybe he should look to that industry a little bit. Maybe we should look to a lot of things. A lot of things, none of them the easy ones, none of them the fast fixes. We didn't get here quickly. We got here over time. There may not be a quick fix, but we do know a few things, don't we? We do know a few things. We know about the security at that school and how absent it was. We will probably find out in due course that there was a legacy here of mental health problems that went unaddressed happens in almost every single one of these situations. And we know people will exploit this for political purposes, which is the greatest of tragedies. It's the greatest of tragedies. I was reading an op-ed this morning in the Arizona Republic. I'll have one of the authors on the show tomorrow um, because there's another part here that may have a very big deal to do with all of this as well. We know that the alleged shooter shot his grandmother today. We don't know anything else as of now about his family. I'm assuming intact is not a word that will attach to it, but that's an assumption. What I will read from is this op-ed that begins, when it comes to confronting some of our country's most serious problems, from child poverty to school failure to incarceration and violence to the fading of the American dream, one of the biggest factors driving these problems cannot be uttered in our national conversation. We're talking about family. Family stability is a better predictor than factors like race, government spending, and education. In other words, whether or not children grow up with two stably married parents or live in neighborhoods dominated by lone parent families often ends up being more important than many of the factors that occupy the attention of our elites and ruling class. Take the state of the American dream alone. When Harvard economist Raj Chetty and his colleagues looking at the factors driving economic mobility for poor children in communities across the United States, they found, quote, the strongest and most robust predictor is the fraction of children with single parents, close quote. Yet the journalists, the academics, 
the congressional policymakers, foundation executives, all of whom dominate the national conversation, rarely, if ever, confront the family factor lurking beneath many of our country's biggest problems. I'll wager right now that it will not appear as an issue in Joe Biden's speech today. I'll wager that it won't. There's the music. Thank you. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Rough day in our country. Slaughter of innocents, slaughter of children. Rough day. I'll just close how I opened. Um, There's going to be a lot of experts claiming to know how this child gunman ended up the way he did and how such a thing could have been prevented. We do seem to have this conversation again and again after every tragedy and with no major implementation of solutions that are spoken about during the conspicuous but temporary news cycle surrounding the event because no doubt another crisis will come and subsume it. It's the way we operate now. It's not the way the most educated, the wealthiest, and most opportunity-rich society the world has ever known should operate. Indeed, these things should not happen, and yet the phrase that could never happen here is a phrase we can't use anymore. The fact is one can see news feeds any day of the week and see that it does keep happening. Rural, suburban, urban communities all over the country. And we are surprised again and again when it does, and we will continue to be surprised again and again, having the same conversation and debates again and again, and more blood will be spilt unless we start having a different conversation, but more importantly, a different commitment to results. It's not just about guns. It's not just about entertainment. It's not just about broken families. It's not just about mental health or involuntary commitment system. In fairness, it's about all of those things sometimes and some of those things other times. And it's about a lot more, including a tremendous moral and educational void in our culture, starting with the old John Donne notion that the death of any man should diminish me because we consider ourselves a part of mankind. Hearts and prayers, that's what we can do today. Tomorrow, perhaps... Knowing more, we can roll up our sleeves and start actually doing something about it. Something productive, something that doesn't satisfy political exploitation, but satisfies the innocence of the children's lives who deserve to continue to live. There are children, all of them. I'm Seth Leibson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Classes dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.